This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Do we need a reading revolution? In a typical classroom of, say, 24 students, eight of those students can't read well. Australia has a reading problem, and that is the finding from a new Grattan Institute report that shows one-third of our kids are not good readers. And Grattan claimed that this is a preventable tragedy, and the reason why most of these students can't read well enough is because we're not teaching them well enough. They want a whole language approach, which was popular in the 70s and is based on the idea that learning to read is easy and natural and sort of an unconscious process. They want that banished from our schools and instead that we need a structured literacy approach right through school, which includes a focus on phonics in those early years. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. Dan, reading and how we teach it is always so fiercely debated, Mm. but we know, and it was proven in this report by Grattan, which we're going to go deeply into today, without the skill of reading, your life can be impacted in so many different ways. Yeah, good morning, Rochelle. And I have to say that figure at the top really makes you stop and take notice. To have eight out of 24 students not reading well or, you know, in simpler terms, one in three, that's a really sobering figure because, as you've mentioned, reading ability impacts every part of your life and it has subsequently, it's got generational impacts. It's not just about that one student. And, you know, as a self-proclaimed book nerd, I find reading to be one of the most joyous things to do in life. So when I hear something like this referred to as a preventable tragedy, that's language that that really sticks out. And I guess one element of that, at least, that gives me hope is the fact that we've got the word preventable, because Mm. as the Grattan report has showed, and as sobering as it is, at least it does have that solution, as you mentioned, that move for governments and education sector leaders to commit to structured literacy, something that is systematic, evidence-based and an approach that teaches all students Mm. building blocks of words over balanced literacy, I guess at least there's there's hope in this. This isn't just a a, a report that says we are failing and everything is doom and gloom. It comes with a solution, which... It does, but how do you go about that solution, right? Is it something that's mandated? Is each school has the opportunity to teach reading how they see fit? What Mm -hmm. impact do parents have? It is always debated. So, And the other thing that really stood out from this report, which we'll go into today, is how strong the language is from Grattan. There are alarm bells kind of going off everywhere here, and this is not a report that can be ignored. So that's what we're going to look into today. How should we be teaching reading? If you are not a good reader, how has that impacted your life? Because something else that this report will show you today is that if you do fall behind in your reading, there's a very good chance that you'll become disruptive in class, potentially even drop out of school. And you're also more likely to either end up unemployed or in a Mm -hmm. poor paying job. 
So how has reading impacted your life? If you consider yourself not to be a great reader, to be a poor reader, how has it impacted you? Whether it be school, jobs, or even just reading a menu in a restaurant. As we look into the report that's come out from the Grattan Institute on the state of our reading in our schools and how we teach about it. Jordana Hunter, who is the Program Director of Education at Grattan Institute and the lead researcher in this report. It's been getting a lot of coverage this morning and rightly so, Jordana, because it feels confronting and the language that you've used is so strong in this report. First things first, what were you looking for in this report? What were you trying to get out of it? Great to be here, Rochelle. And look, it is confronting. We're we're confronted by those statistics. Uh, One in three Australian students not where they need to be, not at that expected grade level in reading. That's got far-reaching implications for themselves and for the whole country. Uh, So we should be confronted by that. But there are things we can do about it, and that is what we were trying to do with this piece of research, understand the magnitude of the challenge, but also really engage deeply with the opportunities to turn this around. And we think we can do that right across the country. Jordana, what makes this report different from other reports that we've done into literacy, into NAPLAN, into all of these educational cues that for some people who have been in this education sector or even the government education field, there's nothing new to these reports. But what makes this one different? I think the conversation about reading has been uh, a bit confused and distracting over the last few years. There has been a real debate about the best way to teach reading and that has confused a lot of teachers and parents and students themselves. We think the evidence is very, very clear now that it is time to embed a structured literacy approach in primary school uh, and also provide better catch-up supports for students right throughout their time at school, including in the secondary years where still one in three students are struggling to read. I think what's different in this report is that we have pulled together a response that we think tackle all of the barriers to getting great practice into every single classroom reliably. And that is what it will take, a real commitment to move beyond political slogans and actually invest in those reforms that will shift the dial for students. This text, and we're going to get plenty of these, and you're going to have people who totally agree with you on this, Jordana, and you're going to get people who are absolutely going to disagree with you. This one's from Claire. I'm a teacher. I've taught for 40 years. I've seen the whole scope of reading, teaching and learning techniques. My last 10 years of literacy teaching have been through highly structured and they've been phonics based. I don't know what else they expect us to do. This approach has been taught in school for ages. We also have a permanent non-negotiable two hours of literacy block. I think others like your guest need to sit on uh, sit in on such a session. Are teachers feeling attacked by this report, do you think? I hope not. Uh, And that's certainly, uh, you know, our intention is to draw uh, attention to the incredible practice that's happening in many, many classrooms. And we did profile two amazing schools, including a Victorian primary school that has taken on a structured literacy approach. So just like that, uh, that texter, uh, they're doing exactly what the research evidence shows should be done in the classroom. The problem is practice is quite variable across the country. So we unfortunately don't have uh, best practice in every classroom at the moment. In fact, in some schools, practice can differ from one classroom to the next. So it's around building that high reliability system with that that really uh, strong practice uh, right across Australia so that no child is left behind. 
We're talking about the ways that reading has impacted your life. I can read, but I don't consider myself a strong reader. Do we all need to be awesome readers or is reading okay enough? So we have decided uh, in this report to focus that benchmark level uh, from how the NAPLAN, the National Australian Assessment Program in Literacy and Numeracy, sets that proficiency benchmark in years three, five, seven and nine. And so that proficiency benchmark is really based on this idea that uh, students should have uh, mastered a certain set of reading skills uh, that are necessary for them to engage with the curriculum at their year level. So one third of students are falling short of that NAPLAN benchmark. And just to give you a sense of of where that benchmark is set, for a year nine student, uh, they would be they could be meeting that NAPLAN proficiency benchmark and still only be performing at the average year level of a year seven student. So it's not a particularly high benchmark. Uh, there's certainly some international assessments that set a higher benchmark for proficiency. Really what it means is that if you aren't meeting that standard, you're going to struggle with the reading and the broader literacy content of the curriculum in your year level. So it doesn't mean, you know, reading War and Peace uh, in year 10. Uh, It means being able to cope with the reading requirements of your year level. We're speaking with Jordana Hunter, Program Director of Education at the Grattan Institute, fresh off the back of what really is an impactful report into the state of reading in Australia. Jordana, we're looking at two different styles of reading and and we've been sort of brushing alongside them and, and touching on them briefly, but can you explain the two different ways that we can teach reading and why one is in the report's submission more effective than the other? Certainly. So there are two broad uh, philosophies, I guess. Uh, certainly the, the idea with the more whole language or balanced literacy approach, as it's currently called, is that phonics is just one component. Uh, it's not necessarily emphasised. There's a lot of opportunities for children to engage with books and, and learn for themselves how to read. A lot of independent reading uh, before children perhaps have really got the skills to decode words. Unfortunately, in some ways uh, that this is delivered, there is also an emphasis on guessing. So uh, encouraging children to guess unfamiliar words by looking at picture cues uh, and, and having a think about, you know, what might sound right uh, in this uh, in this text that they're reading. The alternative approach, a structured literacy approach, puts much stronger emphasis on uh, phonemic awareness, it's understanding the sounds in words and phonics, which is connecting those sounds to the letters on the page and the combinations of letters on the page. And ideally, students should be taught to crack the code, crack the alphabetic code by systematically learning different letter sound combinations and having a lot of opportunity to practice those combinations, ideally through books that are called decodable texts. So they're books that are written specifically for the opportunity to give students uh, the chance to practice the codes that they've already been taught in the classroom. Now, most students with this way of teaching will progress through uh, the code very, very quickly and they'll be, you know, off doing independent reading, uh, sometimes, you know, in grade one, certainly in grade two. Uh, so well taught, they can move quickly. The, uh, the other part of this approach that's really essential to for readers and, and listeners to think about is the emphasis on progress monitoring. So it's really important in those early years that we're keeping a really good eye on how 
how children are developing with their reading skills and mastering the code uh, so that they can decode unfamiliar words. And the minute they look like they're falling behind, uh, we provide that intensive support to catch them up, get them back on the learning bus. Uh, So the structured literacy approach is an approach that is much more explicit in the way it teaches phonics. There's more emphasis on those decoding opportunities. And there also tends to be more of an emphasis on Mm -hmm. rigorous assessments to monitor progress. Georgiana Hunter is with you. She's the Program Director of Education for Grattan Institute and has been the lead researcher on the report that has been released yesterday. It's called The Reading Guarantee, How to Give Every Child the Best Start in Success. And they are calling for a reading revolution across all of our schools. Before we have a chat to Jay Legaya, who many of you would know from everything from Play School, but also to an incredible series that was on SBS when it comes to adult literacy, Robert's in Dalesford. Morning, Robert. Hi, hello. Hey, what did you want to add? Um, I, I was just wanted to ring up about my uh, education. I'm, a, I'm an ex-teacher, retired now, and I have a, a tertiary education plus a successful career. But I have been traumatised by reading all my life because of the way I was taught at uh, state school and high school. The state school, they had that system where you were compared with everyone else in the room when you read. Um, and there was a scoring system of how well you were doing and you had to try and endeavour to get to the higher level. And I really struggled getting to the higher level. And every time I read a book now, I just, every time I turn the page, I just feel a lot stupid. Oh, and I, my brain tells me I can't read this. You, you can't. And yet I've read so much stuff for my education and so much stuff as teaching. And yet when I come to sat down to sit and look at a book, I'm totally traumatised by it. And um, all my efforts have been really difficult. Wow. Has that impacted how you teach? It didn't impact how I teach. I was good with technical manuals. I was good with something regarding my uh, career and my job. I was very good with it. I just forced myself to continue with stuff. But when it comes to doing something recreational, like reading a novel or a fantasy or anything like that, I just kept looking at the book thinking, you can't do this. You've been told this so often at school Mm. that you can't do this because you're compared with all these wonderful people who could read really well and you were so slow and it was a whole class view about it and they were all laughing at you what are you doing trying to read another book and now i'm in my 70s and i just feel stupid still about it i'm still traumatized by it. oh robert i'm so sorry and that i got there'd be so many people listening to that and whether it be reading or just an element of teaching where it was based on competition or getting mm-hmm. people yes. to do it in front of each other i mean pe That's was right. a very good one for that right where you, we had the fat tests, you know, where you would have skin on your arm tested in front of kids and the way oh, no, we that. Yeah, the way that we have traumatized children and how that stays with you. I mean Robert's just said he's in his seventies, Jordana, and it still impacts him and yet he still went on to be a teacher. We need to think very carefully about how we teach and the impacts, the lifelong impacts that it will have on us. That's completely right. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Robert's point is is a really good one. Uh, you know, if, if students are really struggling with their reading, it can have all sorts of negative impacts on their self-esteem and their well-being. And certainly for um, our young men uh, in schools and our young women in secondary school that are struggling with reading, uh, you know, when they're being asked to read in, in front of the class, that can be really uh, a challenging experience for them if they don't have those foundational skills. 
the good news is, as I said, when we know uh, that children are struggling, there are things we can do to help them catch up so they can enjoy that reading success. And I think what this report is really about is trying to prevent uh, the situation exactly that Robert was talking about from happening to more children. As a reader, maybe you struggle with reading your entire life as a parent or as a teacher. How can we do better? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warnable, And in the studio with us, Jordana Hunter, who's the Program Director of Education at Grattan Institute and the lead researcher on the Reading Guarantee, how to give every child the best chance of success. We have a full board of calls. We're going to try and get through as many of them as we can and plenty of texts as well. We won't be able to read them all. But this one's from Ali and it says, read to your children every day. Normalise reading. Kids see, kids do. Have books lying around for them to learn words. Associate pictures with words. Also, the biggest indicator for reading ability is socioeconomic. My son is seven and reading novels, but he's on the extreme end. My daughter is five and just starting word recognition. Everybody is different. We're going to pull that apart in just a moment as well because socioeconomics is a huge part of learning to read. Jay Lagaya, many of you would know him. He's an actor. He's also a literacy advocate. You might know him from Play School or he's currently starring in Grease, the musical. Jay, where did your passion for literacy and helping older people in particular learn to read, where did that come from for you? Uh, Good morning and uh, good morning to your panel. Uh, I suppose for me... um, it was a realization when I started working on, um, well, actually, when I started having children and, and realizing that uh, I wasn't the literacy genius that I thought I was when, when simply trying to figure out whether or not Spot was going to get back from the beach on time um, and, and just reading to my children. And what I found was that reading and comprehension went hand in hand. And sometimes we struggle purely because we don't understand what we're reading. Um, and I think for me, when I started working on play school, the idea of being able to read two children through camera, um, I found that I had to be responsible for what I was actually doing. And children's books for me were a godsend purely because I started to understand and comprehend and became a better reader purely because of that. And and I, I find that um, you have to have really solid understanding and a reading foundation and and you know i I have no qualms when people say you know how did you learn to read and i went you know it's those little reading books that uh that i read to my children that i realized that uh were building my skills up to to talk to children Mm. and adults you know on camera it's funny isn't it jay because sometimes you read those books and you you end up stumbling through but you you find those little holes that you need to fill to make sure that the next generation doesn't have that same issue but i mean generationally speaking this is this can be one of the the tricky things as a as a reading advocate and someone who's a a, a a literacy advocate working with kids in many ways how heartbreaking is it when you do see that there is such a large cohort that doesn't have i guess the literacy skills that the rest of their their classroom does and knowing that that will have fall, like flow on impacts throughout their life Working on Lost for Words for SBS was a real eye-opener, discovering that 43%, 7 million Australians struggle with literacy every single day. 
was a real eye-opener and when we actually got examples of that from society who participated in our program it became a real eye-opener because they you know there was 20 year olds and there was 70 year olds you know it's right across the board and as you know one of your callers had just um said you know he struggled purely because of the the trauma but um uh, i i had a quick skim through and and i i noticed the the comment that that those who are hardest hit by reading performances as children would end up costing australia four billion over their lifetime and 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 our uh our study especially with lost for words um purely was an example of those people who struggled to read were still earning money now i think the comment here there is a bit of a misnomer here purely because i think they're going well they can't be doctors or lawyers you know we had arborists we had mm. uh, office managers who couldn't read uh, really well but they were able to you know find workarounds so that comment that that they would cost four billion over their lifetime i i think needs to be revisited purely because we have examples yeah. of people who struggled but you know the problem is is that those people have children who they can't read to and therefore you know the struggles start at home you know before they even go to school and that workaround is so about, interesting jay in that yes. we've we find our little ways of getting around don't we and you can you're so right you can still be have a successful job and raise a family and earn good money jay stay with us because how do you feel about the idea that maybe we're not costing being a poor reader so this is you know you can read but maybe you're just not an awesome reader jordana how do you feel about the idea that jay is saying well i don't know you know you can still lead a successful life and be an average reader i mean absolutely you can still lead a successful life and struggle with reading uh but the unfortunately across the country the data is fairly clear that students who don't finish school because of poor reading ability and there are far too many of them uh, are much more likely to have lower uh, income uh, lower lower uh, salaries uh, be more likely to be unemployed uh, that's uh, has flow-on implications for the whole economy and it, we also are more likely to spend as a country on you know welfare and uh, public health and and also just Justice, uh, in relation to uh, those those young adults that drop out of school early because of reading. So it certainly uh, I don't want to suggest that you can't go on and have a really fulfilling life uh, even if you're struggling with literacy. Equally, if you are struggling with literacy as an adult, you know, there are opportunities to to build those literacy skills and, and Jay's gone through that process himself. Uh, and that can be really liberating and life-changing for those for those people. It's really never too late, and that's something, Jay Lagaya, that you have been a, a really strong advocate for. So thank you very much for your work and for being a part of the program today. Uh, thank you very much. I think I think it is uh, from from a, a school point of view as well. My wife is a, a is a deputy principal, so you know I participate a lot in schools. Wow. And I think the thing is is that if you don't have parents who read to you at home. Uh, and that's where the building blocks start. It makes it difficult when you go into big school. And I think that all, all the suggestions that are made here, the six points, are great. But if you don't have funding in those schools, you know, you just have to get through the day. You have to get through the – and people fall through the cracks. And I think yeah. that with the implementation of this, you know, we've just got to be able to support because reading is the backbone of everything, you know. And I think that 
uh, for adults who can't, I mean, go to, you know, the ACAL, the, the Australian Council of Adult Literacy, just to check it in. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. The socioeconomics that come out of it's all very, it's well and good to say, well, you can relearn or learn for the first time as an adult, but you need someone to encourage you. You need to know where to go. You need the money and the resources and mm-hmm. the time to be able to do that. So socioeconomics is such a big part of it. Jay, thank you. We really appreciate it. And good luck thank with Greece. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jay Lagai, of course, you'd know him from Play School, currently uh, part of Grease the Musical. Before we get into the socioeconomics, because a lot of it, you know, it's, you know, text off text saying, we'll just read in front of your kids and have books lying around. Even that is making a heap of assumptions mm-hmm. and is a part of socioeconomics as well. Donna's in Gippsland. I think we have you now, Donna. Morning. Yeah, good morning. I just um, want to say. I've always read I've read to my daughter since she's uh, little. She's gone into grade one and she's uh, learning the phonics system through their school. Now, as a parent, I wouldn't say I'm a great reader. I'm university educated and stuff like that, but I'm not a great reader. Um, my sister's university educated. She's a chemical engineer. Again, not great readers. But our children... Um, knowing, understanding the phonics system and knowing, not understanding the different vowels that they come home with and the different sounds and and how we're supposed to then be trying to help teach them those sounds is is quite complicated and I was lucky that the prep teacher picked up a couple of issues with my daughter and uh, we've got been able to go and get help. We're not overly financial but I've made an effort to get her help but both um, tutors that she's had have gone, okay, what system is your school Hmm. teaching? Because Hmm. each school is doing a different system and they needed to know what is how to be able to help her. And she may have some dyslexia. My sister's daughter's been diagnosed with dyslexia, but there's actually no support for children with dyslexia in these systems either. Donna, that's a really good point. Jordana, uh, to unpack some of that, how do we make sure that that, um, parents of students who who may be having difficulties are also supported because it's I mean and this is something we're seeing a lot on the text line it's all well and good to put a certain amount of pressure and responsibility on teachers and principals who we already know are are very stressed and limited with their time but how do we make sure that parents have the ability to to fill the gap and understand the the materials that are coming home so it's not this the student or the child coming home saying I don't know and mum and dad or, or another parent are saying I don't know either And this is a really big challenge for a lot of parents. I mean, it's a challenge actually that I faced as well 15 years ago uh, with my uh, first daughter. Uh, You know, I wasn't, um, I didn't feel like I fully understood the approach that that the school was taking uh, to supporting her with her reading, which made it hard for me as a parent to support that at home. There's a couple of things here. I think it is really important that parents do read with their children and develop that love of literature. And that that point about uh, comprehension and background knowledge that, that Jay raised as well is really important. So decoding is absolutely critical skill for, for beginning readers to master. But ultimately, the point of reading is to comprehend the text. And that does rely on background knowledge and vocabulary. And that absolutely has to be a part of early reading instruction and then reading instruction right through school. And when parents read with their children at home, even if children haven't learnt to read for themselves, there's still that opportunity to work on background knowledge and vocabulary and talk about the ideas that are coming up in the books and the wonderful words that children are being exposed to. I think one of the challenges, though, in terms of asking parents to do this work, obviously we want parents reading with their children, but we also know that 
you know, home environments vary significantly across the country. Mm. Some parents are doing a lot of reading with their children. Some parents aren't, possibly because they don't have strong literacy skills themselves. Possibly there's some really deep complexity in those homes that are just, you know, making that routine around reading challenging. Uh, So from, you know, I think from a social perspective in Australia, we do need to look to schools and be making sure, particularly for our disadvantaged children, teachers are set up to make the most of every precious instructional minute that they have with children, particularly from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, because there is more for schools to do. Uh, And that is hard for teachers, but that is also, you know, the, I guess, the opportunity we have in this country to help close the gap between advantaged and disadvantaged children. But as we've heard so many times today, every school is different and every school is going to have a different approach. And I guess, is that a part of what this report is calling for, is to have one structured approach across the board so there isn't that confusion? I quickly want to get through some of these calls, but a quick comment on that. That's right. So I think there are a lot of mixed messages. There's a lot of uh, different approaches in schools and we need to be driving towards more, I think, uh, best practice approaches. Doesn't mean there mightn't be some uh, differences at the edges, uh, but some more commonality around best practice would really shift the dial. Margot's given us a call from Doncaster and been holding on the line. Good morning, Margot. Good morning. Um, I would just like to say, I'm an old lady and I went to school when there were 50 children in my class and we all learnt to talk, to um, read very well. The thing was, we often, because there were so many of us, had to read out aloud as a whole class. And I think that helped with the reading because when we read, we're forming those sounds in our minds and it's what we hear as much as what we see. So therefore, reading in a big group, listening to other children, other people, say the words. You repeat those words in your mind and you say them again. A child just trembles in front of a teacher trying to stutter out their reading when they're just standing there on their own. But put them in a group, they will hear each other and those words will tell them when they hear the sounds what they are reading. And I think that speech is a very important part of learning. It's not just the words we read, it's the way we pronounce them. And in this country with so many different nationalities, so many different ways of saying things, we need to teach our children a certain set of proper pronunciation of the English language. And I think it starts a lot with what we hear. And we hear too many Ds instead of Ts. Yes, absolutely. It's difficult for a child to relate the word they're reading with the sounds they're hearing. And And to figure out whether or not they're spelling it correctly as well. Margot, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but we have just so many callers that we want to get through and and texts as well. But I love that idea of reading out loud because you're getting the benefit of being able to hear what you're seeing, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you're not being made to do it on your own. And that panic that you get, and as we heard from Robert earlier, you know, that fear and the trauma that still lives with him all of those years on. How do you get reading? How do you promote reading in your household? And would you like to see one approach, a phonics-type approach, rolled out across all of our schools? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is The Conversation Hour.
on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Daniel Miles with you as we pull apart the Grattan's latest report called The Reading Guarantee, how to give every child the best chance of success. They're calling for a reading revolution. In the studio with you this morning, Jordana Hunter, who's the Program Director of Education at Grattan. This text is from Ange in Bacchus Marsh. Oh, my God, this topic is so timely. I've been asked to take on more reading intervention in Year 7 to 9 because of the increase in low reading levels. Our school is going to introduce a phonics-based, scientifically proven program to help those kids, but it needs to start with consistency in the primary years, and funding is essential. Amina McLean is an academic who trains teachers and works a lot with schools and systems across Australia. How important is funding to ensure that something like what the Grattan is asking for is even possible, Amina? Rochelle, it's great to be with you. I think the funding point and I think resourcing in general is a really uh, critical consideration in our schools. Um, But we have a lot of research to tell us that increased spending over the years has not necessarily related um, to improved outcomes for our students. So I think it's about funding and all of us want more uh, money in our schools, but it's also about the resources and the supports that go with that and what schools are Uh, crying out for. I mean, I work in my own school, but I also work in hundreds of schools across the country. They're crying out for really clear um, advice and resources to help them teach reading effectively. I mean, one of the things that we're really taking out of this Grattan report is that there is a a style of teaching that is going to be the best style of teaching this phonics-based system. We're hearing on the text line people saying that there's more than one way to to do this. Mm. Is Is that the case? Should we be focusing and putting all our eggs in this one basket, this one methodology, or is every student different and we should be taking that, that broad-based broad approach to reading? This is my favourite question in the world. I'm so glad that you asked it. Um, I've, I've been raging about this since I turned on the radio at about 6am this morning. Um, I think we have to really correct the record on this. Phonics is not a teaching method and it shouldn't be positioned... Um, as the way to teach reading. Phonics is a body of knowledge. So teaching phonics simply means teaching sound letter relationships or the alphabetic code to students. So I would say every school in Australia does this. Uh, But what varies and varies significantly is how systematic or deliberate or explicit that instruction is, whether there's a um, scope and sequence, for example, that stipulates what code will be taught when, whether it's followed, whether it's assessed, um, whether the optimal time is allocated to teaching this knowledge, which we know is something like 20 to 30 minutes a day for the first three years of school. So it's not really um, about one method or the other because phonics isn't a teaching method. It's really that we have a lot of effective ingredients that are required to develop skilled readers in our schools. You know, phonemic awareness, phonics, oral reading fluency, vocabulary, knowing how oral and written language works, um, knowing how to use and apply comprehension strategies, knowing about text structures and text features, um, reading a lot of books, having a reading culture, building background knowledge. There's lots of things that have to come together to develop skilled readers. So all those ingredients are in our schools. It's about how they're taught, what the, pre- uh, you know, the prominence or It sounds is. messy though, right? At the moment it sounds like people are a little bit confused, whether it be pe- teachers or parents or students. Yep. If you move around schools, there's mm-hmm. no guarantee that you're going to stay in the one school for your entire school life. It will depend on how your yep. parents are taught as well. How simple is it or how possible is it 
to simplify and to streamline how we teach reading. Can you even foresee something like that, Amina, happening? Yeah, I think so. I think we have a lot of, and I think how it was phrased in the um, Grattan report was that we have these best bets. I mean, I don't think there are two schools in Australia that teach reading in exactly the same way in terms of programs or resources or sequencing, assessment tools, teaching tools, pedagogy. Um, And I think that's a challenge. I think probably sometimes facetiously, I think we talk about the one third of students who are struggling, but I think perhaps sometimes that we have two thirds of students that are doing quite well is perhaps miraculous given we've got such lack of kind of advice and support and consistency uh, from our systems. I think if we think about all of the critical elements that are required to teach reading effectively, they are present, I think, in all of our schools in Australia. It's just that we don't get the method right in terms of the explicitness or the gradual Mm. release of responsibility of teaching. We don't get the time allocation or the frequency Mm. right. In medical terms, we don't want to medicalise this. I think it's often done too much um, in the conversation, but it's about dosage. Like we know kind of how much is optimal for phonics instruction, but that leaves so much time for all of these other elements. And we've got that information, but Mm. I think Grattan's report was talking for really clear guidelines and I think we know a lot lot, and we could fill a lot of those gaps for schools. Schools are crying out. They're saying, well, how much time should I spend on phonics? How much time should I spend on comprehension or fluency? And we can provide that to, to schools. That's a really interesting point. We're speaking with Amina McLean, if you're just tuning in, academic and teacher who's worked with a lot of schools and systems across Australia. And Amina, you've also worked as an education consultant and you've seen the way that systems and governments and policy works. We've got a very comprehensive report here, but what it's going to come down to is the implementation of what is actually being recommended. How likely is it that this is actually going to be implemented and make a difference? Because we know that it's imperative that it happens, but sometimes the wheels of motion when it comes to policy and government and education can be slow. So how likely is it that we're going to see what's being recommended here actually implemented? I'm a um, I'm an eternal optimist. I think uh, I think less is more in school improvement. I think it's not just literacy. We're constantly asking schools to do things better and differently. And I think the pressure and blame unfairly falls on schools all of the time. I think for me, my perspective is that that systems need to do uh, a lot better and a, a lot more. Schools are really unique and very busy places. I like to think that we exist in. Uh, what I call a fragile equilibrium and change is very hard uh, to plan for, to roll out, to manage. What we have to hold in mind is that knowledge and expertise and resourcing and funding in schools is is highly variable. So systems really need to step up and think about how they would do this work. In terms of me uh, doing this work in, in a lot of schools, my experience is that it's hard and it takes a long time, often you know, three to five, sometimes up to seven years with really concerted effort to make these changes. Mm. So, and that's with the required knowledge and the required resources um, and, and, time. and time dedicated to this. Right? Yeah. And what yeah. we expect yeah. schools to do now. Amina, exactly. thank you. Amina McLean, academic who trains teachers and works with schools and school systems all across Australia. As we heard from Margot earlier, who's talking about, and she, you know, self-proclaimed, she said, I'm an old lady and how we were taught was very different. But what we taught was very different. Schools, you were expected to learn how to read, how to do maths. The basics were taught at school. Now schools, you're taught everything from consent, mental health, social media. Like what we expect our kids to learn at school now is well and truly beyond the basics 
of education mm. and how school started. And I just wonder where teachers fit all of this time in. Let's Before we sort of get your thoughts on whether or not we actually put enough time and focus on the basics like reading, Barbara's been waiting so patiently. Morning, Barbara. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to uncover one explicit thing. As a child and frequently I was told not to keep saying the words to myself in my head, and I'm in my 80s now, and it wasn't until I was in my 40s that a neurologist, neurologist uncovered that I don't have visual images in my head like most people. He said about 5 to 10% people don't have visual images, and because of that, I have to hear the sounds of the words to be mm. able to understand them. Well, that's what Margot said to us earlier, is that you need to say it out loud and how that impacts you. Jackie Burrows is the principal of Churchill Primary School. And Jackie, when we talk about implementing a new way, a new style of learning to read, this is something that you've done for some time now. And what have you witnessed at your school? Yeah, uh, good Good morning. It's still um, morning, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we made a, um, a change to the way we were teaching literacy probably about four or five years ago. Um, so we didn't have really good academic achievement results at our school. Um, so we looked and, and researched um, more effective ways of teaching reading, which is where we came across, you know, teaching literacy in a more structured way. Can you tell us, Jackie, how did you do this with uh, with regards to the parents? Because obviously the teachers know the curriculum, they understand the phonics and they're a pivotal part of this. But when it comes to education, it's a whole of family approach often. So how did you empower the teachers and the parents to make sure that everyone was singing from the same hymn book, so to speak? Sure. So I guess... Our thinking at school is that parents do play an important role in literacy, but it's really the school's job to teach children how to read. So we would educate our parents through um, them coming in and observing the school or through information sessions um, about you know, why we were sending home a certain type of um, text to read. So we went from using like decodable text to less uh, predictable or repetitive text and really just kept them informed of the changes and, and probably most importantly, why we were making the changes, which was um, in line with the research. When we look at the socioeconomics behind reading and the ability to not only read but have access to reading, to see, to witness reading around you, I know the community of Churchill very well. I grew up in and around that area. This is a, a lower socioeconomic area. And when we talk about cycles of disadvantage and where reading fits into that, how positive are you, Jackie, that what you're teaching and trying to raise reading standards is actually going to have generational impacts? Look, I think anecdotally, if we looked back at some of the students who were being taught um, in with a whole language approach, we did have a lot more students who were disengaged, which um, presented um, in the classrooms like kids being disruptive and things like that. So I definitely feel like, you know, leaving nothing to chance and teaching everything explicitly means that we are making sure our kids who might not have had the exposure to, you know, being read 
um, to and things like that, they're actually benefiting a lot from this. Um, and we, we are closing that gap and that's what our, our results sort of tell us. It's so heartening to hear, Jackie Burrows. Thank you for the work you do and for joining us on the Conversation Hour this morning. Thank you. It's Jackie Burrows, the principal of the Churchill Primary Schools in Gippsland. I love that point of socioeconomics and how that impacts reading because that is something that we haven't really had time to unpack at this stage. Do we know uh, from the report itself, Jordana Hunter, what what role does socioeconomics play in children's ability to read at the appropriate level and what does your report, I guess, suggest to bridge that gap that we all know is there? Yeah, so look, definitely uh, children uh, from more disadvantaged backgrounds are likely to struggle more with reading. So uh, we see uh, that that is clearly apparent in the the NAPLAN data in year three. With those children whose parents didn't finish high school, about one to two years behind those parents, uh, children whose parents went to university. And that gap widens considerably. So it's as much as five years, uh, that gap by the time students are in year nine. So we can see that real marker of disadvantage in those aggregate results. I mean, at the same time, you know, there are certainly uh, higher, um, you know, more advantaged children that are also struggling, which is why we think it is so critical to get best practice into every school. Amina made the point uh, earlier that, you know, there's a lot of variation from classroom to classroom and school to school. And we do see uh, evidence of that in some of the surveys in particular. What we think is the first thing to do is for governments to get clearer on what their advice to teachers and schools is about best practice. And that should get into, you know, enough detail that a harried principal, uh, a new principal, someone new into a, a classroom teaching role can have confidence that they're actually using best practice without having to spend a lot of time trawling through the research uh, literature themselves. So the the research is clear and it can be uh, helpfully packaged up into Mm. much clearer guidance and advice right down to, you know, how to structure that literacy block, what sorts of reading materials uh, should be provided to students, what types of assessments can you use to keep track on how students are developing and what should you do when you find that some students are falling behind their peers? I've lost track of the amount of people that have either said today or have written on text, I'm not a strong reader myself, and I Mm. put myself in that category. I can read. I I read all the time, but I wouldn't consider myself a strong reader, and I wouldn't consider myself a natural reader. And I wonder how common that is. I also wonder whether there's a false assumption that everybody, that we have, that we are better readers and that we love reading more than what we actually do. Mm especially if part of what our job is entails is reading or yeah. if you're just working in any sort of position like that, there, there might be a level of, I don't know, maybe we're, we're overlooking this assumption it. that we're yeah. all good readers. You might know mm. how to read, but how many of us are actually good readers? Yeah. I don't know. I probably just opened up a can of worms there right <laughs> at the end of the program. But where you go for help, I mean, tutors have been mentioned a couple of times today. Tutors are expensive and they're certainly not accessible to most people. Vanessa Isles is the manager of the Reading and Writing Hotline. Vanessa, have you seen a change, an increase in your hotline, either from students or from parents or from teachers wanting advice on trying to raise our reading skills, our reading level? Uh, Good morning. Yes, look, we we certainly, I mean, certainly during COVID, we had a huge increase 
in callers to the hotline when there was a lot of homeschooling happening uh, and parents were at home with their children and terrified that they weren't able to assist them with their reading or assist them with their homework. Um, so there's certainly a concern out there. I think, you know, there is a lot of focus on what happens at school and what happens with teachers, but we also know that children's literacy really does begin with parents' literacy and it's not so much about them being a good reader, it's about them engaging in literacy practices. So things like, uh, you know, reading to them from birth, telling them stories, asking them questions, putting a crayon in their hand and calling it writing. You know, these are, these are skills that actually develop emergent literacy. So it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a fabulous reader, you just have to be engaging with your children. Mm. Um, there's certainly concerns around, uh, you know, kids not getting the help they need at school. So if, um, you know, we get calls, we're an adult um, a literacy service, so we help adults to find classes to help them. And it's really, really important that those adults can find help and find classes when they need it because by increasing adults' literacy, you're going to be then increasing children's literacy. It doesn't just start at school. And of course, that's what we heard from Jay Lagaya earlier in the program, the fact that he was able to bridge those gaps for himself and pass that on as a generational thing. I'm going to read out your hotline number just so you don't have to, Vanessa. one three hundred six triple five zero six is the jingle that sticks in everyone's head. Just quickly before we have to let you go, the reading guarantee report from the Grattan report, from the Grattan Institute, is something that has really captured all of our attention. This is your world, Vanessa Isles. What do you make of the fact that we are seeing, you know, one in three kids essentially not at the right level and, and what can adults do to step in since that is the world that you are uh, so familiar with? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, teaching adults literacy is very different from teaching children's literacy because the contexts are different. They might be at work or they might be at home. Yep. Uh, we've got some really great tools for working with kids you know the kinds of things you can do even if you're not a great reader the things that you can do to help your kids get a better start with their reading uh, and you know there's some really practical fabulous resources out there which if people call thanks. the hotline we can help them with. Vanessa thanks so much for your time Vanessa Isles there the manager of reading and writing hotline apologies if we couldn't read out your text or get to your calls today I do want to end with this one from Melanie and it says please don't assume that all teachers know what to do and how to teach students how to read. Initial teacher education has unfortunately left a lot of teachers in the dark, making it hard to shift practice and to close the gap. The knowledge is out there, but like Amina said, we have a significant translation problem. Just finally, the Grattan Institute's report today that was released, the Reading Guarantee, How to Give Every Child the Best Chance in Life. The Program Director of Education at Grattan, who's a lead researcher on this, can teachers, can parents, can they access this report? Absolutely. All of our research is freely available on our website, www.gratton.edu.au and we'd love it if uh, if people have a look at that and get in touch and tell us what they think. What are you asking the government to do? We want the Victorian government and all governments around the country to raise their ambition. We think students can uh, do much better than they currently are and governments should be seeking to lift reading proficiency to 90% of the population. We think Victoria could actually get there in about 10 years. They could get very close with a reading guarantee strategy. 
the key things are around making sure we're equipping our teachers in the classroom with the resources that they need and the training to deliver this really effectively day in, day out. And we think it can be done. Tadana, thanks so much for your time and for your report and your passion on this topic. If you missed the beginning or you want to share this maybe with someone who you know, who you love, if you've got friends who are teachers, you've got kids who are struggling to read, The Conversation Hour is also a podcast. Go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts and you can download, subscribe to The Conversation Hour and you can listen back or you can share this particular episode. Daniel Miles, as always, mate, thank you. I'll catch you next week. Can't wait. As we said, don't forget The Conversation Hour is also a podcast. We've done lots of programs that look at literacy and reading, dyslexia, you name it. Subscribe to The Conversation Hour. Take care. We're back with you tomorrow.